scriptures now. I'm going to be reading 1 Peter 1, 17 through 2, 3. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not that perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that the lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good thank you good morning on this nice rainy cool morning huh Enjoy it, because it only gets hotter from here, right? (laughs) And I was thinking about that, how the rain is so cleansing, cleanses the air of some pollens, hopefully. Uh, For those of you who just washed your vehicle yesterday, thank you. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about that in regard to today's passage, because it really covers and begins in verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy, and then he gets into this passage. That cleansing that happens from the Lord, that he is the one that causes that cleansing in our lives, and it is so needed for all of us. Who all doesn't need to be cleansed? We like to have things clean around our house. We'll clean the house before company comes over, right? Or maybe some of you clean it after. Uh, I'm not going to ask who that is, but, uh, uh, you know, I was uh, yesterday out and and my... I decided to do a burn pile and, you know, it's still uh, that time of year where you can do such things and it wasn't windy and so I got started and I, I found myself uh, taking time and walking around my whole property finding stuff that needed to be burned. Not that I'm a pyromaniac or anything, <laughs> but I wanted to clean up my property. It was the opportunity that I had for this, this year to kind of get the year started right And I realize we do stuff like that all the time. We clean our houses, we clean our property, we clean ourselves. We love to be clean, especially in the United States. We love that idea of being clean. And spiritually, we need to have that same passion. 
Spiritually, Peter goes into this, and I, I begin to wonder, why does he even have to say this? Why does he have to say that we need to be holy? Isn't that obvious? Isn't that something that we should already know? Apparently, we need to be reminded. I still remember something that my wife said to me a number of years ago. She said, do you ever notice how many times in Scripture it says remember? And then she made this comment, I think sometimes it's more important to remember than to learn something new. And I think that's right. All through Scripture, we're, we're told to remember. We do the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. Why? So that we remember, so that we don't forget who we are. Like Lingle so artfully did last week and talks about the, the idea of justification and sanctification, that, that our sanctification should be based on who we are, that we are justified in Christ. And you see Peter talking about at the beginning of, of, of chapter 1 where he talks about that we're born again to a living hope. A living hope, not a dead hope, not wishful thinking. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. And so this, this idea that we're born again into this living hope should change us, should make us different. And in fact, he says at the very beginning of this passage... And if you call on him as father. The and ties it back to what he's talking about before. The if is a conditional sentence, isn't it? It almost makes it sound like it's not, not something that's true. or Because when we use the word if, we, we express uncertainty. In the Greek language, they had different ways to express certainty or uncertainty using that same word if, that we would translate if. And in this case, he means certainty. It's called a first-class conditional sentence. That in the mind of the speaker, it's a certain thing. And so he's saying, and if you call on him as father, and you do. You could add that phrase, and you do, because you've been born again to this living hope, and you call him father. And not only father, the father who judges. So he's father and judge. See, we like to think of God as father, and almost like father in a sense that he is just this, you know, whatever we do, no big deal. He blows it off. He forgives it. And, this, and certainly every sin that I ever committed or ever will commit has been uh, nailed to the cross because of Jesus Christ dying for my sins and your sins as well. And when you receive Jesus as your Savior, every sin... In fact, typically what happens to us, we think, well, I know the sins that were covered when I accepted Christ, but what about the ones that come after? They're also covered, because how many of those sins were future when Christ died? All of them, right? He died for all my sins for all time. Praise God for that. Because I know that, you said amen kind of with enthusiasm about my sin. I'm just wondering about that. <laughs> but I just think about that and I think wow praise God for that for us that Jesus Christ died for all my sins there's nothing I can do that will ever take me away from being able to call him my father 
It even talks about in the passage that we have an inheritance uh, in verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. There's no born on date on our salvation. There's no expiration date. There's no date when our, when our salvation expires. It's imperishable. It's certain. It is a living hope. Wow. We only have to be born again once, not multiple times. And when that happens, he's our father and we are his children. In fact, in John 1.12, it says we have the right to call ourselves children at that moment. Which seems to imply that before that, we don't have the right to call ourselves children of God. But the moment we receive Christ, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God. That means we inherit. That means we inherit heaven. We have a relationship with the God of the universe. He is our Father. And that should change us. We should no longer want to live like we used to live. We should always want to be different. I know that when I've traveled in the, uh, outside the United States, I find family everywhere I go. Family of believers, other believers in Jesus Christ in other countries. I found it in Pakistan, found it in Tanzania, in Brazil, everywhere I go. And I'm embraced as family. I'm embraced as close. There's a nearness and that it's a new family that we have. And it's worldwide. And it's embracing and loving and caring. It's amazing to me how I've been embraced and, 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 and loved in other countries because I'm a foreigner in that country, but the reality is we are all foreigners here. Because notice what he says. He says that we should call him Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The New International Version talks about live as strangers in this time. And if you think about it, they were living in exile. He begins the letter here to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And then he talks about all the places that they were. And we saw the map. They're all areas of Turkey today, which is Turkey. They were all from that area, the places where, where Paul did his first missionary journeys. Peter obviously is writing to the, some of these same folks. He knew them too. And he says, you understand what it's like to live in a land that's not your home. And the reality is, Philippians chapter 3 tells us we have a different citizenship as well. Yeah, we call ourselves Americans, but this is not our home. Our home is a heavenly one. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We wait for him to come again, because that's our true citizenship. And you already got your visa when you accepted Jesus as Savior. And so what we need to look at then is how do we live? Now that we know that God is our Father and Judge. And I want to suggest to you that we don't always live like we should. We almost live, if I can use this terminology, like the spoiled, entitled child of a judge who shows up in the courtroom because he's messed up again 
But instead of being remorseful and repentant, he puts his feet up on the desk and he's waiting for dad to get him off the hook. And Peter is saying, that's not how we're supposed to live. As entitled Christians, even though we've been forgiven, that's not what grace is. That's an abuse of grace. We're not supposed to live that way. And yeah, we, it won't impact my salvation, but it certainly will impact my sanctification. It certainly will impact how I live and grow. And he tells us in chapter 2, and there's not chapters in Peter's original writing, right? And so you have to look and see what he says, that we need to be those who long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up. That, that you may grow up into the salvation that you already possess. He's not saying that you'll grow up into salvation so that you're gaining salvation, but that you're going to grow up in the salvation he's talked about that you've already been born again into in chapter 1. We need to grow up. How many times in our spiritual lives do we realize we really haven't grown up in a certain area of our life? I see that in my life all the time, things that I should be better in. I'm 68 years old. I've been a believer for 50 years, for crying out loud. I should have my act together, right? I don't have my act together. There's times where I struggle. There's times where, I, where, I, where I'm frustrated with, with where I am and I, and I have to go back to the basics. Go back to the basics of my faith. Remind, remember who I am. That he is my father and I'm saved by grace. I was never saved by being this perfect person. So how do I grow up? I'm going to run to the end of this, this section for a minute because I want us to focus on this idea of longing for the pure spiritual milk that we may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And I, I wondered, how do I long for the pure spiritual milk? You know, it's easy to, th to think, you know, and, and I think he's talking about the Word of God because he, he actually talks about the Word of God throughout this passage. He ends chapter 1 with this Word is the good news, and you back up, and he's talking about the Word of the Lord remains forever, and you back up a little bit more in verse 23, and he talks about the living and abiding Word of God. He's getting through talking about the Word of God, and then he says, I want you to taste pure spiritual milk. Well, where, where is he talking about? The Word of God. It's in the context. It's where the focus is. And unlike the author of Hebrews who talks about the pure spiritual milk for babies and infants and then you need to have real food, you need to have solid food for the mature, I don't think Peter is talking about that when he's, uh, that distinction when he is uh, saying pure spiritual milk. I think he's talking about it all. He's talking about the baby food. He's also talking about the solid stuff. He says long for it, the pure spiritual milk. The pure spiritual milk. How do, how do you long for that? How do you get where you, you fall in love with the word of God? You fall in love with scripture. You long for it. You desire it. Because I can tell you there's sometimes in our lives, and it's happened to me as well, whenever you are, are you know, doing the, you know, especially like reading through the Bible in a year and you're in Leviticus. <laughs> I mean, I've been there too, Right? And you're not just longing for the pure spiritual milk that morning. You know, you're kind of going, okay, here we go. 
you know, and you endure it, you don't long for it, or you go to a Bible study or a sermon and you don't long for it, you're kind of waiting for the thing to get over. When will that guy ever shut up, right? <laughs> and the reality is, how do we long for that? How do we get to where we are so hungry for the Word of God? I remember when I first came to Christ, 1972. I was brought up in a church tradition. We didn't go very often. Uh, in a church tradition that didn't use the Scriptures, just had you know a nice talk on Sunday mornings. The Scriptures were read at a couple of times, but we didn't really talk about it. And I remember when I first began to understand that God wanted to have a personal relationship with me, with Greg Buckles, the God of the universe, wanted a relationship with me? Really? Do you know who I am, Lord? Well, of course you do. You made me, but really? He would know all the reasons why he wouldn't want to have a relationship with me. I'm just going to give you trouble, Lord. I'm just going to give you a hard time. No, I want a relationship with you. I became so hungry for the word of God because I had not tasted to see that the Lord is good. And as I, as I tasted and I, I gained a hunger for the Lord that, that hasn't quit for these 50 years, I'm still just as hungry as I was then. And I think, how do I communicate that to other people that haven't experienced that, haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good? How could I help you to have a hunger for the Lord like I feel? And some of you do. Some of you love the word even more than I do. How can I help you? And I was thinking about that even this week. I was thinking, Lord, please help me to, to help people to see why we need to have this hunger and thirst. And then I realized the longings in all of us, it's already there. The longing is already there. The longing is there when we struggle with needs in our lives. When we feel hopeless and need hope. When we're struggling for answers and we don't have the answers. When we're wondering how we should respond in a particular situation and, and we don't know how we're going to respond. We have the longing. And what happens is you go online and you start Googling stuff. Maybe the answer is here. It's not there. What can I do for you? Huh. My watch just talked to me. I said, what can I do for you? <laughs> I guess I must have hit a button or something. Siri's trying to answer the question. Upset that I was talking bad about her, I guess. <laughs> the answer's not there. It's not found online. It's found in the Lord. It's found in his word. And he calls it the living and abiding word. Usually what we think of, yeah, telephone. We think of the living word as Jesus, and this is the written word, right? That's not what Peter's saying here. He calls this the living and abiding word. And the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, says the word of God is living. Living? Really? 
and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's absolutely what the word does. You read it, and it points out something in your life, and then you either respond or you ignore it. Right? It's living and active. How is it living? Because it shows me what is truly life. What is true living. And in fact, you look in Deuteronomy and Moses says he's kind of wrapping things up with the children of Israel. In a speech to them, says, take to heart all the words which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. It's your very life. This is our very life. It's living and active and it's working in us and it's not empty, which is interesting because he talks about, Peter talks about this empty, futile way of life. You go back to verse um, 18 because he's just said, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So while you're here on earth, while you're living here, Respect what God is, who he is, what he has done for you, knowing that you were ransomed, you were redeemed. That's the word redeemed. That's the idea that you were bought out of the slave market of sin. You were redeemed from the feudal ways. Notice this, inherited from your forefathers. What? Are you talking about our parents? Are you talking about my mom and dad? Feudal way of life inherited from them. If, if the, the areas that my mom and dad did not teach me about the Lord, yeah, there, there's some feudal stuff there. There are some things that we grow up in in our culture and we think it's cultural Christianity. And this is the way we live. We show up on church on Sunday mornings and then we're done. We kind of check the box of spirituality and we're growing. I can tell you what, I was blown away by the believers in Pakistan. Because they didn't see just showing up one day a week. They lived it every day. They've been bold and courageous. And I was humbled by their, their courage. Humbled by their willingness to, to reach beyond themselves. There was a fire there. And I was thinking, we need to have a fire among us. There needs to be a fire in our hearts that we just can't wait to speak about his name. This fire that, that, that when we get into any conversation that Jesus is going to come up because we love him so. I was thinking about when, when I was engaged to be married and then when I first got married, everybody knew about my wife. And she's an introvert, so you can imagine how it is for her, right? To have an extrovert husband who talks about her, and she's like, please, no attention, like she probably feels right now. <laughs> I see the look. <laughs> I'm getting the look. <laughs> but everybody, yes, I love her. Everybody, everybody who knew me knew about Susan, whether they had met her or not. And they'd say, finally, we get to meet you. And, that, and they would meet her. Why? Because I was so excited about being engaged, so excited about what, what our lives and future ahead looks. And we've been married for 42 years. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. 
And I think, shouldn't it be that way with Jesus? I mean, we, we, we should be so excited about who he is that anybody who knows us knows about Jesus. Wherever we go in the world, and we are going to be strangers and aliens, we are going to be those, we are, we are foreigners to our world now because we have a different family and a different citizenship. And our life is not going to look like everybody else's life. It's going to be different. Praise God, it's going to be different because the Lord is good and we need to taste and see that he's good. These different times that I've made trips to other countries, I come back and I am reminded again on those trips how good our God is because I've tasted and seen. And I want you to taste and see. You see, what happens though is we have the longing, we don't realize that the, that the solution to the longing is starting with God's word and spending time in his word. And as we spend time in his word, we're gonna see how good he is. We're gonna see that he says a thing and he does it. He carries it out. And we begin to understand what his hand looks like when it's at work in this world. Because otherwise, we just kind of make it up as we go. And we're not sure if it's God or not God. And even in our world, you'll find that we, we typically will think, oh, well, I, you know, my God would do this, or my God would do And it's like, I don't have a corner on God. I can't say my God, except for what he says, that I can call him my God. And I can't make up who he is, and I can't change who he is. He is who he is. And the only thing I can say is, God is. And how do I say it? Because his word says, this is what he is like. That's how I know. Otherwise, I would not know what it is like. And I'll tell you what, when you see his hand at work, it's, it, you, you want to see it more. You're going to long for it more. It'll build a fire in your heart. And the key is, that we just conduct ourselves differently. We live differently. Like he says here in the passage in verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear, with reverence, your father judge throughout the time of your exile, knowing you were redeemed from the feudal ways. God's ways are not feudal. The ways that we learn in this world are feudal. And they're cultural the cultural Christianity that we were brought up with, we need to reevaluate it. We need to look at it differently. We need to evaluate it in light of what Scripture says. The living and abiding Word of God. That, by the way, he says in the passage, remains forever. You know, there are only a few things that remain forever. I mean, think about that. What Scripture talks about remains forever. It's only a few of those things. And it's not all the stuff we own, I can tell you that. The Word of God, God Himself, the souls of people. That remains forever. So we're investing in eternal things. We need to invest in those things, in a relationship with God, in a relationship with other people, and with the Word of God. This lasts forever. God's Word remains true, and it's, and it's something that we can always count on. It doesn't change next week. Oh, well, God thought this that week, and now he thinks this. No. It's pure spiritual milk. And he says, here's how 
futile the ways of the world have been taken care of. This inheritance from your fathers has been redeemed, has been ransomed. It says, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God. I'm so proud of Peter. He came so far from being a guy who was doubting, was was um, uh, Jesus said, uh, get behind me, Satan, at one point, right? Because he said, oh, this isn't going to happen to you. This, this death and resurrection thing's not going to happen. And now what is he talking about? Death and resurrection of Christ. He was scared, denying Jesus, now courageous. And according to history, died for his faith in Jesus in Rome upside down on a cross. He says, who through him are believers in God. He did this for you. He did this for me. Who through him are believers in God. Through him, that's the key phrase, don't miss it. Through him are believers in God. I've talked to, I don't know how many people who said, uh, do you, you know, uh, talking about eternal salvation, they go, I believe in God. Yeah, that's not enough. If it's through him, believers in God, yeah, that's it. If it's just believe in God, there's a lot of people believe in God. Jesus is the, is the key element. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which, which we may be saved than the name of Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's very exclusive. It's a very exclusive thing. We believe in Jesus then we call him our father. That's what John 1.12 says. As many as received him, talking about Jesus, then we have the right to become children. Then he is our father. Then we are born again to a living hope. Then we have a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time, as Peter talked about in the beginning of this chapter. He understood about the precious blood of Christ takes that picture of, of painting the blood of, of the lamb upon the doorpost at Passover. The precious blood of Christ painted upon your life. It's only that that guarantees you being born again in salvation. Nothing else will do. Nothing else is sufficient. And then he says, having purified your souls, and you go, wait a minute, how did, how did that happen? Purified, that idea of cleanliness. That's the reason that I talked about that at the very beginning, talking about the cleansing reigns. We love the cleansing reigns. What cleanses our life? Positionally, Jesus Christ died for our sins and we have been purified. He says, purified your souls. You know, you think, wait a minute, by, obedient, by your obedience to the truth. Is that talking about work salvation? No, he's, he's not schizophrenic here. Peter's not changing his mind and kind of going back and forth. So what is he saying? What is this obedience to the truth? The truth of the gospel message that he's been talking about. And the way that we're obedient to that truth is that we believe on Jesus. 
That's what he's talking about. When you believe on Jesus, you've obeyed the truth, and that obeying the truth makes you have been purified. It's a perfect tense, which means past action with continuing results, and it continues your whole life. You have been purified. You have been cleansed. He looks at you, as it were, through Jesus-colored glasses. He doesn't look at you in all your sinfulness and all your, everything that you've done. He takes and puts and sees you through Christ. And positionally, you are pure. Positionally, you've had righteousness imputed to you. Yes. Yes. Wow. You've had righteousness imputed. You had purification happen. But then there's the practical sanctification side that we begin to live up to what God has already positionally declared us. And that he grows us all our lives. We grow up into this salvation. He says, what do we do? He says, he says having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for, here's a, here's a purpose for, a sincere brotherly love, love one another. Brotherly love, phileo, then he says agape. So he, in back to back, phileo agape. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a, and there's that idea again, pure heart. He, that, that's a word. Anytime a word is repeated through a passage, you want to take note of that. He talks about a pure heart. He talks about the pure word. You see that, that idea of purity throughout the, the passage that we love one another, that we care about one another. He's going to talk about some things that, that are anti-love, that, that destroy that love at the beginning of chapter 2, but he says, we want to love one another. We want to have that love for one another, that love that I've experienced worldwide, that love that I experience every time I go to a different country. Why do they love me? Why do they even think about me? Why am I not despised? Why am I not looked down on? And in the culture, in some cultures, they'll look down on me for being an American. Except for the believers there. I was in one country where it was obvious that I didn't fit. I, I didn't, you know, didn't look like everybody else. And it stood out pretty clearly who I was. And I remember one guy walking by me and he elbowed me. I mean, it, it was hard. I mean, he hit me pretty, pretty good and he never looked back. I mean, when you bump into somebody, you're usually going to look back and go, oh, sorry. He didn't even look back. And I went, he did that on purpose. You know, of course, inside you think, I'm going to go after that guy, you know, <laughs> to teach him about Jesus, of course. <laughs> I mean, he elbowed me hard, and so I, I thought, wow, he's not excited that I'm here. And he wasn't a believer in Jesus. And the believers there said, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. And they were compassionate toward me and kind toward me, and they, they uh, in, invited me into their homes, and they fed me, and, and I had these wonderful discussions with them about the Lord. And I was like, wow. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way one day when we're in heaven it's going to be. And believers encouraging one another to stay true to the Lord, to stay faithful to the Lord. That we love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Oops. We've got to grow in that, don't we? Because we don't have that pure heart right now if we're honest. 
I guarantee you, if you had that pure heart, there would be nobody come to mind if I said, is there anybody you're angry at? <laughs> I bet every one of you had a name pop into your head, right? Huh, we got, we got ways to go on this pure heart thing. Since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, the living and abiding word, it gives us life. We gain life by reading God's word, not only for salvation, but we gain life for how we live our life out. All flesh is like grass, and he talks about we're temporary, word of God is not. It remains forever. We're temporary on this earth. We remain forever as well. We believe on Jesus. But he says to put away some things. Chapter 2, he says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says those things right before he says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. So what is that telling us? It's in contrast to the things that we're supposed to put on. We put on the word of God. We take off these things. And what are these things? Malice. Malice is mean, being mean-spirited. Mean-spirited. In other words, we intentionally hurt others. Bully them. Say things about them on social media. Have you ever done that? Been mean to somebody on social media? Start a false rumor about somebody at the office? Maybe you've seen that happen. Hopefully you haven't done that. Deceit. Taking advantage of someone else by lying. Or deceiving them into thinking things. Or we gaslight people. Where we... We make them feel like that they're wrong when, and we're using it to just manipulate them or we flatter them and do the other. Hypocrisy, where we create a false impression of who we really are. I realized that I was trying to do that. You've heard me say that when I was in the PhD program at seminary. You'd think that'd be the last place that would happen, right? And I tried to act doctoral and make it kind of seem like I was supposed to be there and I realized after six weeks that I was hating it and I realized it's because I wasn't being who God made me to be. I was trying to be this fake version of Greg. And I don't know if the real version could actually pass a PhD. They might kick me out. <laughs> I think a couple of them wanted to, but... Because the, the real me asks questions and even the tough questions and, and doesn't just settle for the answer that somebody gives. And and so I realize I can't be deceitful. Even that's deceitful. Hypocrisy. You say one thing, you do another. People even say, don't do as I say, do as I, you know, I mean, don't do as I do, do as I say. Jesus said that about the Pharisees. They're saying the right things, they're just not doing it. Envy, I want what somebody else has. Their glory, their joy, their money, whatever. Envy. And slander, saying bad things about someone else, whether they're true or not, or even a, betraying a confidence that makes them look bad. Yeah, wow, we do that. He says, put all this off. It's, he's, it's the, put off his idea of taking off clothes, and so you just take off these things because they're not who we are. 
and they're the opposite of love. We can't do both at the same time. We either love one another, as he talks about in the passage, or we put on these things. And he's saying, put them off. Because if you're putting on these things, you haven't tasted that the Lord is good. You think that you need to kind of control your world around you and try to make people line up to do, be, do and be what you want them to do and be. You see, we got to come to Jesus' time this morning. I think we got to decide who we're going to be. Are we going to be like I was, the false, fake PhD student, or the, or the real Greg that God has created in his image? Which one are you going to be? Which one are you choosing to be? Which way are you living? Are you trying to live in both worlds? Jesus uh, prayed for his disciples that they would, they would be in the world but not of the world. And so we're in the world. We don't need to buy into the culture of the world. And there's a culture that gaslights us on the word of God. They're saying, well, you don't know what the word of God really stands for. You don't really know what this book is all about. And they want to change what it means. They say, well, Jesus changed what it meant. He said that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, you've heard it said, but I say to you. So he's changing it so we can change it. We're not Jesus. I mean, that's kind of a first, you know, simple observation. The second thing is he wasn't changing it. He was clarifying in our world, when they're looking at the Word of God and they're gaslighting God's Word, they're gaslighting God. And they're gaslighting us for believing in God's Word and following it. Oh, that old ancient book? No, it's 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 forever book. It's a book that has the truth of God. It tells us what He is like. It's His self-revelation. And so we got to ask ourselves, are we trying to live in both worlds and in both cultures? who we are in Christ and what this world is. No, we're foreigners here. We're just living here for, not, for a time. We're in exile just like the, uh, the recipients of Peter's letter. How are we going to live? Are you doing some of these things that I mentioned to you? Now is a time as we close this service to just talk to the Lord about that. In my prayer and in, in the closing prayer and also in the closing song, I want to encourage you, take some time just to talk to the Lord as you're singing the words and just say, Lord, I want to, I want to live like your child. I want to conduct myself with a passion for Jesus. I want to be excited for Jesus so that other people see that excitement. Because our world needs him. And if we're living a fake version of who he made us to be, they're not going to see the God who tastes so good. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's spend time in his word. Let's realize that the longing is meant to drive us into the word and not into Google and not somewhere else. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for him dying on a cross, being buried and raised from the dead so that we could have a living hope, so that we could know that the word that you've given us is a living word of God. Lord, I pray that it would change us, that it would make us different, that we would live 
reflecting our Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would give us a longing for your word, that we want to eat it up, because we know that's where our true longings are being satisfied and taken care of. Lord, help us to long and taste and see that you are good. Father, I pray that you would grow us in you. Make us passionate about you. Help us to be excited about who we are in you and who you are. And when we talk about you to, to the world around us, we don't do so embarrassedly. We do so excitedly. Help us to be that. Because that's who you made us to be. Help us to, to cleanse our lives of some of these things, malice, being hateful to other people. Father, cleanse us of deceit that we're not going around hiding and doing things that would not be proper. Lord, help us to, to change in each of these areas that Peter mentions. Lord, we come to you and we confess that we're not perfect in these things and we need help. We need your help. Thank you that you give us your help. You promise your help through the Spirit of God. Thank you that you've already purified us positionally before God. That every sin you died for. I, help, I pray that you would help us as we grow in you, that we would grow up that we would not just be immature Christians our whole life, that we would not be spoiled, indulgent, entitled Christians. Help us rather to be excited, passionate for you, and passionate for your word. Lord, grow us into that. We need your help in that. We, we know we can't do that on our own. We can't just fabricate that in our own hearts. Give us a fire for you. Change us. Make us different. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.